Welcome to On The Couch with James Field and Ian Harris. It's episode 46 for the 7th of June 2007. Well, James, here we are. Here we are, podcast 46. Or on the couch. And uh, it's all happening once again. Indeed. I'm totally surprised that every week, I think, after last week, there's going to be no news. news and <laughs> yet. Bang, the news piles in. And there, there, is, there is, is quite a lot. We've actually more stuff than you can poke a stick at. Yeah, we've got all sorts of um, things going on. So I think we should kick off. We're going to talk about our normal topics, aren't we? So we've got UK news, international news, IPTV news, bit of content or content delivery type of news, mobile news gaming and other funky stuff fantastic now given our severe lack of uk news <laughs> maybe you can well for a chat, there are a few things going on but it's mainly people suing people or injunctions and all this kind of stuff so uh-huh. in relation to the the unfair monopolistic uh, sides that people are claiming and all this kind of stuff but let's not talk about that no, I've, I've, about that. I've we talked a little bit last week about my bt vision installation mm. uh, i still have no vision um <laughs> And I was conferring <laughs> with a colleague at work who also has the same problem. He has no vision. Oh, really? uh, and yet it seems, I've looked at some of the, the forums, Digital Spy is one I like to look at a bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it seems I'm not alone. Um, really? <laughs> so it seems a bit strange to me that this product, and they've now done a major sort of press and advertising campaign mm. in the UK, major launch, and they're looking towards self-install, which I think as I explained last episode, well, <laughs> I could have self-installed it myself and saved one guy half a day's work and 200 miles of driving. Yes. Um, and had the same result. By the same and way. had the same result. Uh, but it's not just me having problems. Mm. Um, they are going to send me this new hubby thing, but I still have spent at least another two hours on the phone to the call center. Mm. And they're very nice, the people in India and stuff. And they did the old That's remote deep. control Citrix sessions and all this kind of stuff, which uh, worked to be fair, but then, you know, I sit there twiddling my thumbs for 10 minutes and they go, ah, oh, it doesn't seem to work. And I'm like, yes, that's right. <laughs> that's why. But then I guess they don't know that I kind of maybe know what I'm talking about. The average punter is just going to say, oh, I don't know, what's a computer? Um, but so... So you're still stuck with no... Yeah, you've but got your free to wear. I've got my free to wear. I've got digital. my 160 gig PVR. I've got my upscaling HDMI 720p right. terrestrial. So um, I haven't used it very much. I, I did talk with a colleague here, and he said that he was having a few issues with the schedule not actually being correct. Right. Because the difference here is it's ignoring the transmission stuff from the um, we call the service information or SI. Ah, yes, of course. It's, it's just getting all the, the information yeah. over IP. Yeah, right. and clearly that it has to line up. And this is one of the biggest problems in most digital broadcasting systems, synchronized metadata. If the metadata is wrong, you know, it really pisses you off. And if you're recording something and it misses it or Mm. stops it, and there's no, there isn't things like the guard interval you can set up. You know, a minute or two either side is forgivable, but if it's Mm. just the wrong event. Ooh, that's really bad. um, Which, you know, can cause a few problems. So it depends really on whether they're buying the data from listing services. I don't know where mm. BT is getting its data from, but it's clearly not the same point of origin as the terrestrial broadcasters. Oh dear. So unless you have people sitting there rigorously looking at it, they're going to be That's interesting because uh, clearly the bandwidth that you have between your exchange and the house is at least 2 meg, 8 meg? 8 megs. I mean, looking at my, my router thing, it's saying 8 megs, no worries. Um, okay, so you've got a plenty of bandwidth there. So 425 like a, return path uplink. Yeah. Right, so it sounds like there's a bandwidth issue upstream well, of the Well, it could exchange. be my, my hub. I've got, they gave me the hub as well. Right. Um, 
I want to talk about some other stuff later on. Remind me of this. Wake on land. I want to talk about this. All right. You're on. Back down there in the other section. Um, yeah, so the hub may be an issue. They're going to send me another one. Uh, but it seems a bit of a long shot to me. The hub's working fine as far as I can I'm see. Fine but the, the phone light's the not coming on. There's this broadband phone thing not working. Anyway, that's enough of my troubles. <laughs> we should move on. So it's, uh, Maybe next days. week I'll be, you know, saying this is the best service in the world. Well, I guess on. it does, you know, it does uh, point out the fact that, you know, despite BT's size and mm. the backing of Microsoft and, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, clearly a lot of money put into yeah. doing a proper service, it's actually, I've been doing IPTV well. Mm. or at all it seems is actually very hard well, I think it's doing any kind of TV you've got to have good customer service you've mm-hmm. got to have a product that technically is solid and yep. you've got to have a, a, an operational workflow that works I mean yeah. technically something's gone wrong the workflows hasn't worked for me and the customer service experience has been mm. bad mm. so and I mean, it is a different experience for telcos moving into television because Whilst you know the, we talk about carrier grade equipment, as in you know telcos yeah. are often it's a lifeline uh, service. I mean, you yep, pick the phone up, you expect a dial tone. But if it doesn't work the first time, you're okay if you pick it up the next time. Or well, you know, you're, I mean, you're okay I, I would argue if I was a paying customer mm-hmm. and I was paying for this, which I you know I'm not. I did the old. I think we talked about. It, I complained in the. Yep, I was going to switch it. providers, and they threw on all this kit for free. If it wasn't, and and uh, if they hadn't thrown in for free, I probably would have moved. So they've kept me. Mm. And that there's a cost involved to them. I guess it's going to be a few hundred pounds, so it's going to be maybe five, six hundred dollars to keep me as a customer. Mm. Um, yep. And, and, I, and I am now locked in for 12 months or something. Right, okay. But if I was paying for the television, I'd be spitting blood. Yeah, I'd absolutely. be phoning up saying, hey, you know, I just mm. bought 25 movies and I can't watch mm. any of them. What are you going to do about it? Um, but I'd like to argue that IP, you know, the television services need to be up and running and continuously going for yeah. many uh, hours at a time. Today, in today's world, television is a lifeline service. You've got to have those four nines reliability, mm. which you know, 24 hours a day works out at several hours of downtime, which even that's kind of unforgivable. <laughs> that's right. um, so a lot of things have to do. But I mean, I think at the end of the day, they're a telco not a broadcaster. They're coming from a different direction. Yeah, My broadband that's seems pretty reliable. That's a challenge. Right, there you go. Um, although I am slightly concerned it's a bit slower now that maybe they've allocated some kind of QoS uh, channel right, for me. I see. Okay. It's, you know, anyway, moving on. That's, international news. Well, we've got a few things happening around the world and I guess we wanted to cover a little bit in terms of where we're going with uh, digital TV generally. As in, we know the, the general worldwide analogue switch off is coming yeah. Uh, mostly so that governments can make a stack of cash by selling off their bandwidth. Indeed. Uh, although they're arguing that it's to enable new services and better reception. Yeah, we and talked so about on. consultation in the UK and how they were just sort of putting it on hold because people were suggesting things they hadn't thought of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought um, it would be interesting to see your perspective on uh, an article we have that talks about how Hong Kong has now got 50% of the city covered with digital terrestrial my old television. stamping ground. Exactly. Yeah. So actually what's, what's your take on this? I've had a few meetings with some of the people involved. There's two, basically two operators in Hong Kong mm-hmm. for terrestrial, TVB and ATV. Um, when I was there, they, they had by law, to, they've got some quite rigorous transmission requirements, which are similar structures you might expect to the UK because mm-hmm. of the, the uh, colonial uh, rule that was there until 97. Um, so, I mean, for instance, they had to transmit English channels, one each, right. which was clearly a lost leader because yes. there's not very many people <laughs> who can. And uh, so they've got their services and the government, again, mandated they must go to digital terrestrial, mm-hmm. um, which they were saying, you know, this is, doesn't make any sense financially, but they're told mm. they have to do it. Mm. Uh, so they're looking for, to get some concessions from the government. There was also, I think we've talked about before, again, 
the question of TV standards because China is saying it doesn't really want to use the DVB standard. It wants yeah. to use so a Chinese flavour. Well, they're still, according to this article we've got here, which you see in the show notes, is uh, they're still kind of sitting on the, the fence. Right. Because they don't know. Because if they don't choose China's standard, they're going to be a bit kind of stuffed. Yeah. Um, having said that, they still have a lot more freedom of programming in Hong Kong than they do in mainland China. Mm, mm. And the current um, makeup, again, it's a bit like England. There's something like 23 or 27 different transmitters in Hong Kong. Although Hong Kong's really small and there's a tall, and there's a tall thing and you could whack a big, I think it's Ma and Shan, the biggest mountain. Uh-huh. You could just whack a big antenna, cover the Maybe whole lot. It. Trouble is that it spills over then into China. Ah. and into Macau. So it's frequency coordination on your boundaries. That's key. Right. So they went for lots of low-power transmitters. Oh, right. Interesting. Similarly, so, in the UK, you could have a massive okay. one on top of Ben Nevis or something, or Snowden. <laughs> you could have big transmitters. Yes. But because we're an island nation, and it's, it's uh, also regional variations mm. as well, mm. they tend to Absolutely. go for lots of low-power. So I think this... So that uh, explains how they've got 50% yeah, city coverage. One transmitter. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, 50% of the population, probably. Mm. Um, again, I mean, you can get it's uh, very inexpensive for a terrestrial product for DVB. The Chinese mm. one, I guess they're, they're hoping, and they did actually say, I think, last year that by the end of, the, end of uh, 2006, if they hadn't chosen, they'd go with DVB-T. But as right. I gather from this article that they haven't quite sort of jumped in yet, but they're working on it. I guess China has its own economies of scale by definition, really, doesn't it? Yes, indeed. I mean, Hong Kong is quite a small market. There's, I think there's something like 10 million people there, or mm-hmm. so it's not, not huge. But I think that the news here is that a, a, another company has basically bought into uh, digital. Um, now, I don't know if this is suggesting that um, like a, a new company will set up, which is maybe an independent joint venture of TVB and ATV. I, I haven't quite... Um, and they're the two operators in Two operators, because it makes sense if... if um, and one of them makes a lot more money than the others. All right. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. Um, TVB's got a lot more overseas activities. It's uh-huh. well known for its selling, reselling its programming in overseas Chinese markets. Um, so if they're coming together as a separate company, which kind of happened here in the UK, mm. uh, then they can set up a separate service, which, okay, if it loses money, at least it's a separate entity and yeah. major organizations aren't going to sort of kill their own business. So, uh, But it'd be interesting to see how they put that together. Is it simply advertising-based? I think that would be tricky in a small market like that to grow the advertising mm. market. So it's likely to be a mix of different interactive um, and pay services. But again, they've got to get the receiver strategy right. Yeah, If absolutely. it's a free-for-all, there's going to be inconsistencies. Mm. And, uh, so it'd be interesting to watch. Um, okay. But they have got some money. Indeed. We have a brief update on what is happening in Spain. España, which is, again, they're saying it's taking off, right? They say it's... Taking off. Taking off, yes, indeed. Uh, they reckon they've got 5.92 million households with digital TV of some sort or another. Right. With digital terrestrial taking 2.58 million. Mm. Uh, followed by digital satellite TV with 2.16 million. And cable with about 760,000 homes. And DSL, this Imahino service as well, is, yeah, DSL, is significant. DSL is well. up to 440,000 homes, which is mm. interesting because I hadn't... Uh, that's creeping up to the levels of uh, PCCW, is that right, in... Hong Kong, yeah. Hong Kong? Yeah. Maybe um, a bit more, I think they're over half a million. But um, yeah, it doesn't mention these grey imports from other European satellite operators from all the expats either. All <laughs> oh, right, so <laughs> kept those numbers out. <laughs> Which uh, I've heard rumoured could be up to a million. So, right. um, interesting thing. But yeah, terrestrial, again, I've, I've been to Spain this year and they've got the boxes in the you can buy. They're still a lot more expensive, it must be said, than the UK boxes mm. for some reason. I guess 
just as uh, it's not a larger market, I suppose, but they're pre- presumably same boxes. Um, you would think so. Don't okay, know quite, so quite what's on, but that's a digital terrestrial rolls out, as you say. Indeed. Every, and I think the, this issue of frequency coordination works as well, mm. because your neighbouring countries, you then have to start talking to them about what are you doing about it. I've been involved in some of the standards in the early days, and it was very much, you know, people would come from countries you wouldn't expect, but it's because they were being asked by their neighbours, can we use this frequency? What are you doing? Right. And they don't know. So they have to come and say, oh, well, what are we going to do about it? Right. Because um, you do, I mean, you are going to get spilling of television into other Yeah, other into areas. other territories, and, and frequency coordination is important. Um, it's like a, I heard um, about a WiMAX trial in Hong Kong, uh-huh. and WiMAX, um, you can use a number of different frequencies. Uh, WiMAX, I guess, is the big brother of uh, Wi-Fi, mm-hmm. I guess. It's 802.11.16e, yeah. I think it is WiMAX. Yeah, and allows you to actually move different places and still receive... I think that's more Wi-Bro, which is a Korean-based standard, which oh, right, gives okay. mobility between base stations. WiMAX was tend to be fixed, but wireless reception as opposed right. to... Um, mobile wireless reception which right. is a different different challenge I guess handing over seamlessly between base stations and stuff um, so they did some trials but they actually knocked out some of the satellite TV using WiMAX because it used um, like deliberately not deliberately because I mean you look at a spectral allocation and it's very much it seems you can just draw ah, okay. sharp lines right. yes. but in reality the discrimination between one frequency and the next isn't yeah. necessarily there and in this case um, extended C-band for satellite TV which I think is 3.4 to 3.7 gigahertz mm-hmm. is where those channels come down and, and they were using them for Star TV in Hong Kong they had many channels come in from international providers over C-band and then retransmitted right, via locally. cable or whatever um, but the WiMAX trial was operating not in that band but adjacent to the band mm. but obviously the LMBs are receiving incredibly low signals from space whereas WiMAX is coming from a tower just down the road <laughs> and right. the just completely overloaded the front end receivers of well. the and so there were some big sort of issues going around there um, so just there are, you know this is the practicality again mm. of these things you can't just take the spec and say oh we'll do this um, that's right anyway uh, IPTV what's going on there uh, well we've got a few updates on a couple of things uh, Apple TV which is Apple's foray into the Essentially, doing an IPTV yeah, set box I've, of sorts, or I was a bit an iPod I'd, for your TV. I bricked mine this week. Oh, no, <laughs> I thought didn't. I had, but I managed to. Ooh. I just had this kind of. It was continually kind of booting or doing something, but fortunately the SSH service had, it was there, so I was able to get in and, <laughs> um, and go and remove the stuff that I thought I'd done to break it. But uh, it's working again now, fortunately. But I have actually taken off all the the plugins that I'd put on it. Mm-hmm. Um, ready for this announcement uh, that uh, YouTube is going to be available. Indeed. Um, there was, so this, was it? Uh, there was a conference last week where Steve Jobs and, and Bill Gates got to do a one-on-one. I don't know if you've managed to watch that. Yeah, I've seen um, some of the. Uh, but they before that, I think that Steve announced, "Yeah, we're going to have the Google Boys are coming onto Apple TV." Mm. It hasn't been downloaded yet, so. Um, this is the first real software update. For first it? legitimate one. <laughs> legitimate I mean, one, I'd, I'd been watching it, I think I said last week, you yeah. could already, someone's done a plug-in through whatever, and that, that works very well. So I guess Apple, well, hopefully they'll do it better. Mm. Um, so they're actually converting the videos to H.264 mm. from YouTube. Seems YouTube. a bit heavy-handed. I don't know what the business model is for that. I don't know why you do that. Unless like they're putting ads on it. Apps as well. Like, why wouldn't you just get the Apple TV box to play Flash videos? Uh, well, they seem to be hung up on the fact that the Apple TV will only play H.264. Yeah, they don't want to do anything else, do um, they? When all, the hacked one I had, or have, 
I've downloaded it because essentially it's a it's a slimmed down version of OS ten. Yes, uh, and there's lots of plugins available for that mm-hmm. where you can play anything anything at all. Right. So basically, you just download these other QuickTime components, uh-huh. which will play back Flash or whatever. And so, right. but it does look a bit ropey as well. If you're watching okay. on your 720p display, right. YouTube postage stamps, they okay. look a bit. So I guess the advantage of this is that they can take the you know the uploaded content and turn that into H.264 as opposed yes, to. Yes, but it will still look pretty ropey. I'd imagine. <laughs> uh, depends what it is. Maybe they're just going to have a, a highlight, so kind of a white list, if you will, of. of the good yeah, stuff, the larger stuff fun. on YouTube. Yeah, They've absolutely. also announced a bigger disc version as an option. Yes, um, so it goes up to 160 gig. Yeah. gig. And I read uh, a bit of a, a background on this that the existing Apple TV, and, and I think in this conference Steve Jobs mentioned that Apple TV is a hobby for Apple. And the rumor is that it's an expensive hobby because they're only making something like $20 on the hardware cost of an Apple TV. Right. So by giving Ooh, you a sort of build to order, put a hard disc in and upping the price by a hundred bucks they're actually maybe making some money um, <laughs> right. so it makes me maybe feel better that I've got more of a bargain through being an early adopter <laughs> in it but it, it does seem I mean, it is essentially an IPTV set to a box but it's not the it initial is. dro- drop isn't being used for that yeah. it's, it's just this video iPod with an HDMI output um, so you know, an expensive hobby is, is or a hobby as Steve Jobs said it but mm. there's rumours that maybe it's just a Trojan horse to get into the IPTV set top box business well definitely get to get into the living room yeah. and I've played uh, iPod videos mm. on my television you can actually connect an iPod yeah. to a television and play videos and even on a normal standard definition television yeah. it doesn't look all that great so yeah. I can understand the need to uh, do something a little more sophisticated have mm. a little more you know, have some storage space locally yeah. and connect to your iTunes but everyone seems to be saying uh, where is it going next clearly this is not the end goal if you could sit down and actually order and buy content in your lounge room from iTunes and watch yeah. it immediately yeah, yeah maybe, there's a, maybe there's a or you order it on another interface and then yeah but you don't want to go up and click and buy I mean I can already do and clicking and watching stuff but uh, and podcasts I have to download it's, you know Geek Brief you must see yes. old Callie Lewis on Geek Brief um, she's got an Apple TV version that they put out, oh, okay. so that comes out and looks quite good on on. But it's right. I don't know, two hundred megabyte download or something Correct. for a five minute video, <laughs> three minutes. <laughs> something what like a that. great three minutes! Um, but it's HD. It's very good. Um, but that's uh, one of the the challenges there. Um, there was also, I guess, software DRM. I don't know if we're going to talk about that later on. Maybe in the content side about mm-hmm. uh, um, software being good enough. Perhaps Apple. Um, obviously removed the they, they launched finally this DRM free stuff on mm. iTunes you could buy mm. and I know we're going to talk a little bit later on about bit rates and things like this mm-hmm. um, but they left in the metadata it contains all your details about your account your iTunes account not all of them but it says yes. basically who you are yes. so if you share the track then it can be tracked back to you and I think yes. that's legitimate to be honest because oh, absolutely, you're yeah. not buying the track you're buying the rights to listen to exactly. it exactly you're not buying it to put it up on the internet you're exactly. buying it to listen to so, the track fair enough um, again I think that's keeping honest people even if they don't tell anyone about it it's just that they can it's yeah, probably I mean, a condition of getting it from EMI that they retain oh, this and I expect you know, they, they would have been thinking about this all along and they would know that as soon as they started it everyone would go and poke around and try and find out what's inside it well, it's the, they haven't tried to hide it at all yeah, they could the have, EFF guys would I think <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, they could have uh, put it in a, in a watermarked form or yeah. put different bits out for different people but you know, they made it pretty clear that we know where this track comes from yeah. so you know, I think that's fine They're, they've made it available for different devices but also 
in a soft way, uh, made it clear that we're going to be able to track this back to you if you start putting this up on the internet. Well, they haven't made it clear. Someone exposed them, I guess. It's for legitimate use, basically. Yes. It's fair use, yes. I suppose, which is where it comes down yes. to, isn't it? Um, so, um, what else is going on in the content delivery world? Bitrate. What's going on with the bitrate kind of stuff? Okay, so we, we talked uh, a week or two ago about uh, the fact that does it matter about bit rates for music? Uh, and we were talking about whether or not normal people would notice the difference the between... golden ears, you know. Yeah, We've had a few the, comments about our podcast that sometimes it's a bit... It was in the early days. In the early it was a big days, chunky, it was a bit wasn't it? Chunky, yeah. Bit chunky, but, but that was more the quality rather than the bit rate, right? That's right. And in, in, with all these things, it all depends on the you know, the entire broadcasting chain from mm. microphones all the way through to digital encoding. But if you just look at the actual bit rate itself, it doesn't make a difference in between paying an extra 30 cents for a track and getting 256 Yeah, or doesn't make a difference just with 128. Your cloth is probably not. Is that well, this is, this is the question. So uh, one of these websites has done some tests. Mm-hmm. Now, to be fair, they've tested uh, 10 people, so it's not really <laughs> inclusive in terms of uh, <laughs> big tests. Te- eight of our 10 test subjects enjoyed listening. <laughs> what, this is with different headphones, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, they, they tried it with two sets of headphones, with mm. normal Apple headphones and a pair of expensive Shaw, Shaw ones. headphones. Survey sponsored good. by Shaw. That's exactly right. And everyone said that they really like the Shaw headphones, which is nice. But they, if, I mean, what they came up with is that 8 out of 10 people could tell the difference using Apple headphones between uh, the 256 kilobit version and This was like a Pepsi Cola kind of... Yeah, that's right, take a little, kind of take a little yeah. sip and what you like. Yeah. Uh, now it, you know, you you can hear the difference, but again, it really helps if you know what you're listening for as well. And uh, in you know, what kind of music does it say? That's the question. Doesn't really say. Is it like thrash stuff, <laughs> or is it? And they had a couple of subjects that were over forty year olds. They had a couple of people that were under thirty year olds. So on average, they had one person in different age groups. Right. Different. So, and uh, some of them were musicians as well. Exactly. They had about four musicians who reckoned they could all tell the difference on normal iPod headphones between the two types of tracks. Mm. Uh, but I think the... Um, wow, you know, I'd forgotten that the woodblock sound was even in this song. It doesn't <laughs> sound like thrash metal to me. I don't think so. <laughs> I think um, w- one of the things that I've learned over the years is uh, I used to work in a hi-fi store when I was at university to okay. you know, have a little pocket money. And uh, we were supposed to be a high-end hi-fi store with really right. expensive speakers and equipment and the right cables and all that yeah, sort of yeah. stuff. And uh, what, uh, and having this kind of heritage, uh, it it, is, it astounds me now that uh, to realise that people will often throw away what we think of as quality in order for convenience. Yeah. As in the audio quality on 128 or you know, even 256 kilobit audio for MP3s mm. on your on your iPod is is not as good as a pure CD oh, clearly. uncompressed I mean, version. Yeah, yeah. And you can definitely hear the difference, but it's you can so squeeze much more, more convenient. It's like, I mean, if you've, you know, I know you don't have a car in, you're an eco-friendly kind of guy. Exactly. But I mean, if, if, uh, if you have a car and it plays MP3s or mm-hmm. WMA audio, well, for convenience, you might load up in your six-disc changer, you might load up six discs with thousands of songs on. <laughs> exactly. Um, because that's convenient, but obviously there's going to be a degradation of quality there. That's right. But and then it's a noisy car, so... Again, and even with CDs, mm. which... Uh, a, a 256 AIFF, aren't they, or something like that? 
uh, for no CDs are uncompressed uh, PCM. Okay. But um, the argument in the, in the early days, I remember in when CDs first came out, was the CDs sounded terrible and harsh yeah, and digital yeah. because you know we've got these beautiful analog. Uh, well, the know, purists still have the valves, don't they? Of course. Yeah, and the valves and the valves have a particular type of distortion mm. that that we sounds friendly to our e- to our ears. Uh, so the argument there was that digital CDs were terrible and harsh and, and yeah. awful quality of music, but they're so convenient, and you know you yeah. don't have to worry about needles and dust. I think and I mean sound is very important. You know, getting back, I guess, to the sort of TV angle, is mm-hmm. sound is very important. And one of the big differences with HD is you get surround sound. That's right. Um, Five point one, as opposed to the sort of Dolby ProLogic stuff that comes out with the and uh, the idea of a home theater is not just uh, you know a larger TV, but the surround oh, sound makes a much. big difference in yeah, terms yeah. of the quality it's more of the experience of your experience indeed. and the smell of popcorn. Uh, <laughs> anyway, that's something else. Okay, um, so that's about bit rate. Now there's a there's another one of these. Oh, by the way, people with DVRs are skipping lots of ads, but not the good ones. Well, this is... I, I thought That's this was an amazing bit of... Uh, um. <laughs> well, there's all this stuff coming out now because, as, as we know, Nielsen, and, and we were talking about this in the early days when Nielsen were predicting they were going to do... Yeah, they just announced they were going to start doing some stuff. They've, uh, they're now starting to churn out the stats from the fact that they're actually, for once, measuring... And why it took everyone so long, I don't know, but mm. they're actually measuring now the, uh, what people are doing with DVRs as part of the normal, uh, the normal statistical process they use to, to qualify how many people are watching ads and so on. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, in this particular article, the, I'm just interested in exploring how I think ads are actually getting better. The, the, the bit in between the program, uh, I think the fact that people are looking at DVRs and seeing how people can mm. actually reject the ads now if they don't like them, right. by fast-forwarding, and I must admit, I do Did you see a difference in ads? I mean, I know when I was in Hong Kong, ads on the TV were typically varied between terrible and... Really terrible? Well, terrible and kind of nicely produced, but terrible. Yes. Um, UK, they tend to be a bit more, there's a bit more pizzazz and sometimes they're mm. quite amusing and they follow on. If you're watching one show, they'll have different cuts of the ad. So it's almost, they're telling a story yeah, in that and, set. And for the UK, where you have, you know, on a bad night, you'd have two million people watching yeah. the show. You know, it's worth the amount of money which you are watching. <laughs> true. Uh, you're paying so much money to get on the TV in the first mm. place for an ad that you really have to put in the quality. I think that's we're talking values. prime time here. Correct. But when it gets down to niche channels, it really is kind of consolidate your debt, bang, 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 <laughs> bang. So it's that's a bit right. dull. Um, but I think for, I mean, prime time ads, clearly serious money is spent on the slots. And so yes. the production values go up. Yes, um, definitely. So as people are seeing that uh, people can get rid of the ads now if they don't like them, they're putting the effort into creating new ways to make ads more interesting, as in that mm. block between two parts of a program, which we traditionally call the ad break, is now being made more interesting by people uh, creating uh, almost like extra content that or goes in between. Excerpts. So it's not it's ads, it's also bits of the program. So if you yeah, fast so forward, you're going to miss this clip or clue or something. Exactly, yeah. the interviews, they're interviewing people, uh, characters from the show. But it shows that DVR penetration is going up. This is the flip side. Absolutely. And having to redress the balance here, or maybe this is in response to the, the data from uh, Nielsen and the other people saying, you know, this is real. Definitely. Um, Definitely and obviously sponsorship and product placement. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a good thing. Because, this is a really good thing because uh, rather than being the ad break, uh, an ad break being a, a time where you can leave the room and do something else and come back, mm. it's turning into a more uh, attractive 
thing for you to sit around and not miss out on. It's like the Super Bowl ads. It's not entertainment. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's making ads entertaining. How bizarre. Isn't that what it's all about anyway? Indeed. Exactly. So I think that's... Creating brand value. I think that's the... um, (laughs) Mobile. God, why do we keep talking about Apple? I mean, I'm the only Mac user in the world. You are the only Mac (laughs) user in the world. (laughs) Have you seen the Apple... Have you seen the mobile... um, The ads for the iPhone? Because they've announced the launch on the 29th of June. I wasn't able to see the ads. Yeah, I took a look at... uh, Does it make you want to buy them? Yeah, I mean, it looks like quite a decent sort of phone, but they're not. It's actually smaller than I expected. Actually, yeah. looking at the pictures of, but that. it does. If it's as responsive, the ads where the guys like browsing a website, looking at photos, doing some music, and then it, the ads are pretty much the same. It's like, oh, there's a phone call, and they're making <laughs> a, a phone call in the middle of doing it, but it's, you know, watching a movie and stuff. So, um, loads and loads of hype. It'd be interesting to see what happens. Loads of hype, but I think what, uh, and this may be the. I think this is the bit where I've. I'm kind of tipping over the edge of saying maybe the iPhone is something that's going to take off and have a life of its own. Yeah. And uh, Apple has decided that they're going to open up uh, the API for the, iP- the iPhone so that third parties can create applications to run on the Definitely. iPhone. Definitely. I mean, I heard the other way that they're considering it because they're worried about security of it. And then when they say security, they're worried that they don't want stuff that will crash the phone because you're buying it for a phone. Nope. And if uh, that doesn't work, then you're going to be mighty miffed. So nope. Steve Jobs took the stage at the D All Things Digital this Conference. This is the one, yeah. yeah. And uh, said there... Nobody's perfect, but we sure don't want our phone to crash. <laughs> is that what he said? That's what it says here. <laughs> We'd <laughs> like to solve the problem. If you be patient with us, I think everyone will get what they want. Right. So, so it is kind to make of... It, make its eagerly anticipated mobile mm. phone open to outside developers. Reversing months of sceptical statements about third-party involvement. Yeah. He, now, they, they, need to make a, they need to make it a... Uh, they do need to make it bulletproof because it's it's not good enough that you're trying to make a phone call and one of your dodgy apps yeah. you've downloaded from the internet he, crashes this your All things digital thing, he also spoke about they're finding it's actually, because they're supposed to run a full version of OS ten on the phone. Wow. Okay. And one of the ads is quite good. It's called Calamari. And this guy's watching um, Pirates of the Caribbean or something where the, the pirate ship is attacked, attacked by the... Uh, the Kraken, I think, you know. <laughs> right, okay. And he's saying, imagine you just fancy a bit of seafood. And he just like, he says, pause, hits the, um, hits the Google map thing. Oh, right. And types in seafood restaurants. That's cool. And then, That's cool. and the map appears and, and then little pins fly down. And then he hits the button and he calls it and says, oh, I'd like to make a reservation. Um, it's all you just see hands on the cool. phone. And it's quite a good, just pressure smash. That's pretty cool. If it's that good. Um, yeah. That was a nice so, experience. Yeah, but uh, and there's been other reports recently about you know a waiter got some hands on and said, "Wow, it's really slick and nice right. and works." But I, I can see so much hype if it doesn't fulfill exactly. And so you, re- I can you understand. The I mean, the Apple TV. It's clearly quite a complex bit of kit, and you really Definitely. don't want it crashing in the middle of a phone call. Or indeed, and the the third party software developers are very excited about it. One of them, Rich Siegel, president of Barebones Software, mm. says. I think that certain products in our line could be expressed very nicely on the iPhone, which I translate to, I think we could make a lot of money if we could get our applications on the <laughs> iPhone. Well, the same with Apple TV. The hacking community got YouTube on it before Apple did. Indeed. It. But I mean, that's the other side. They might want to see what people want to do and then... And then follow I mean, up with I mean, the either then thing. buy the companies or whatever. I mean, it's not as if they're short of cash, <laughs> is it? Um, Indeed. So I think that's very exciting. Excellent. Excellent. Um, right. What is happening in the games department? Well, we have rumours that the uh, Wii is going to get a hard drive. But it's already got some memory. We talked about this. I mean, it's got... I mean, you can... And there's little slots in the top, stick your SD cards in or something else. Indeed, Um, but it doesn't have a lot of memory. And uh, some of the 
the theory goes that the the Neo Geo games, which is a previous console uh, where it can play those sort of games. Have you downloaded any Wii points? Have you bought any yeah, games? Yeah, I've done some Wii points thing and downloaded uh, a Mario, one of the early Mario Brothers. Okay. Games. Have you got the classic controller? No, just the normal controller. And yeah, it, that one I've works got, with that particular. I think I've got a classic mode. controller. Uh, uh, but it's, the games are very old and yeah. the graphics are very good. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually I just bought my fourth controller I got there was some special deal I bought Wii Play uh, you know we've, right, in fact yes, if anyone yes. still wants Wii Play American style <laughs> that's available just let me know send feedback to <laughs> feedback at onthecouchpodcast.com it actually has some good games but I bought that. the UK one and I got it for 25 quid or something so okay so you now got plenty of controllers to play so I'll have play four, four player tennis that would be yeah fantastic. that would be epic you <laughs> <laughs> uh, have a lot of space in your lounge room doing that yeah cinema please so because these uh, Neo Geo games are so big, everyone's thinking maybe uh, they're going to release... Once you, I mean, when you buy the game, you. do you have to download it? You can't sort of... You don't have like a virtual shelf that you download it on demand? No, you have to get it onto pulled a, onto your And store onto on a your disc memory. or something, yeah. okay. In fact, but, I mean, sorry, I'm very sorry, but I mean... A peripheral game? Is there a, U, is there a USB port on the Wii? I can't remember. There is, absolutely. Yeah, so you can have an yeah. external drive that work. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Uh, that would work. Uh, um, but the main news for the Wii the is news. you've picked up on um, LucasArts is getting a bit more liberal in licensing. I've heard they're doing this. Um, you can make your own mashups now on StarWars.com. You can download up to 300 clips, and they're allowing people to create mashups. Cool. Um, but they're well, also, they're more saying... importantly, what are they doing in? <laughs> they're making a lightsaber game for the Wii. Wow. Now, everyone's been thinking this. We've been talking about it, and mm. it looks like... Uh, well, at least someone's picked up a paragraph from a website that talks about the success of the Wii, and the head of LucasArts Games Division is saying that uh, a Wii game that lets players wield virtual lightsabers is on the horizon. Fantastic. Wow. So it's coming, but the horizon could be... <laughs> <laughs> it could be a very a far away horizon. Way away. Um, but that, is very, that would be very which cool. Which planet, you say, which horizon, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Indeed. So that's very exciting. Yeah, so that would be very, very cool. I mean, I think uh, the, the key thing about all these platforms is that uh, you need some key aspect that actually makes uh, the platform a sellable thing. And Halo 2 and 1 did it for the Xbox yeah. and Xbox 360. Uh, and uh, for the PSP, uh, even Sony now are we saying... we got Vice City, Rockstar coming up no, as well. No, even, even Sony is saying for the PSP, well, you know, it's a great console, but we don't really have a lot of really compelling content for it. Yeah. Uh, and for the PS2, there's a whole stack of games you could name that really mm-hmm. sold the PS2. Uh, so you really need something that ex- you know excites people's imaginations in respect to a particular yeah. console. You can only get it on that console. And I the think lead title, yeah, yeah. Uh, that might uh, the Star Wars franchise might work it out for mm. the Wii. Yeah, well, well, I think they've already got. They're already outselling. I think uh, PS3 in Japan was it four or five to one? Serious? Yeah. So that's massive. I must admit, I haven't shown mine to anyone who hasn't said, wow, that's really cool. You haven't shown it to anyone who hasn't said? Yeah. Right. So and people who aren't normally gamers, they'll just say, wow, that's like... <laughs> <laughs> it is very different. I, the experience, wanted, you're so. right, the experience is very different on the week. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, we didn't quite get to software DRM this week, so... We'll no, all wake on land stuff, but that's uh, more about that next time. Perhaps. Indeed. Well, it's uh, been a very exciting week, and I'm sure there'll be stacks of news Indeed. next week. It's all happening here on the couch. Indeed, so it's uh, bye from Ian. And bye from James. Cheers. Bye. Bye.